for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. I'm joined today by another former general manager of the radio station from the class of 2019, Shruti Marate. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. I'm also told I could call you Loops, but we'll get into that later on. (laughs) I still go by Loops out here in L.A. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us from sunny L.A. Take me back to the beginning. How did you find out about Syracuse? And when you got there, how did you find out about the radio station? Yeah, great question. I mean, I was lucky enough that when I was in high school, our high school had its own radio station. I mean, it was a tiny radio station where like... You could barely hear it even if you were in the parking lot of the school, but (laughs) it was still a learning experience. I got to learn radio and learn how fun and enjoyable it is. And a lot of people who graduated from my high school went on to Syracuse. And so I was lucky enough to know that like Syracuse is a great program. And then when I got to Syracuse, I was matched up with a peer mentor named Sam Kendall, who is the GM before me. Ah. And my peer mentor, Sam, told me, you will be joining Z89. All of your friends will be joining Z89. And trust me, you're going to love it. And she was correct. And I'm so lucky that I (laughs) was told that I would be joining Z89 because it made my college career so much more fun and gave me all of the friends that I still talk to today. That's so true for so many of us. And it's funny, we're recording this full disclosure on June 13th. Not sure what's going to air, but I actually just edited the episode with Matt Gehring and Sam Kandel yesterday. Oh, so amazing. her episode is fresh in my mind right now. So <laughs> that is not surprising to me at all to hear about what a rock star Sam yeah. was and what a rock star you became. Tell me what you did at the radio station once Sam uh, kind of got her closet and said, you're coming this way. Yeah, I mean, the first thing all of me and like my fellow people in my class, uh, so like Hannah Butler and Akita Berman, we were all told like the Z morning zoo is where it's at. So we were like clambering to get on the zoo. Obviously it was super competitive, but we started on our own individual shows, APs on different days of the week on the Z morning zoo. But that's how we met the upperclassmen who were like pros on the board and pros on the mic and really, really learned how to, you know, get a casual, fun conversation that people would enjoy listening to at six o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And then from there, uh, second semester, I ran for the legal director of the station I'm pretty sure I ran unopposed, but I got that position. So that was awesome. (laughs) Um, And then was inspired as throughout my time on the exec staff at Z89 to be like, oh, this is really awesome to be in a leadership position and kind of not just speak on the mic, but kind of enact change and and create an environment that everyone else wants to join the station. So I was inspired to run for GM that year um, and was GM the following year. And yeah, the rest is history, I guess. (laughs) You mentioned Sam earlier. Who were some of the other upperclassmen that were there at the station that sort of set the tone when you were learning to be on the zoo and all the other stuff? Some of the other names that come to mind? I mean, Sam's best friend, Matt Gehring. We literally called them mom and dad. Like they were (laughs) our parents. To this day, Matt Gehring's contact name in my phone is Dad Matt Gehring because I will instinctively (laughs) type dad instead of Matt if I'm going to text him. So I won't find him. I would imagine you would want to text different things to different people in your phone named dad. So you want to differentiate that. I'm lucky enough that I don't call my parents mom and dad. I call my parents Ayin Baba, which is the Marathi word for mom and dad. Okay. Which is why I think even to this day as a 25 year old, I still call Sam and Matt, mom and dad, which is like a little weird when we're like 
getting dinner in New York. I'm meeting up with Matt and I'm like, hey, dad, how's it going? And people are like, what is going on? That is not his father. <laughs> He's a year older than um, you. I have accidentally even called Matt dad on air and then had to be like, thanks, dad, Matt, and I had to correct myself because that would be weird for listeners to hear. But So you never explained that part of it on the air? No, no. <laughs> I guess we could have, but being an on-air personality where we weren't college students, we were you right. know, professionals, it was probably weird to be like, yeah, I call my colleague dad. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam and Matt, who else? My first zoo AP experience, I was APing a zoo with Paul Mancano, Nate White, Ali Wall, and Anna... I want to say, I can't remember Anna's last name, but they were all fantastic. That was my second semester of freshman year. I remember one of our zoos was actually the morning after Syracuse made the final four. And oh, wow. we were all running on adrenaline because nobody had slept that night. <laughs> like nobody had. I think I went to sleep at around 2.30, 3 o'clock that morning and woke up at 5.30 to Paul picking me up to go to the zoo. That was Another great thing about upperclassmen where like if they had a car and you lived really far from the radio station for zoos, they would pick you up from your dorm. Where were you living? I was living in Brewster Hall. So the BBB. Yeah, that's you don't want to do that walk at three in the morning. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I was like, you know, Paul picked me up and you no, know, they were all great. I'm going to Ali's wedding this September. So definitely a friendship that has lasted through the years. Very cool. Very cool. So you talked about wanting to impact the culture and impact the station more than just on air. And you kind of went through becoming legal director and working your way up to GM. What are some of the things that were going on at the station that were your top priorities when you were GM? The reason that I was attracted to the station was when I went to my first training session, it was like a party. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like everyone was hanging out, but like it was the kind of party where like, because it's radio and you can't talk over each other, everyone had a voice. You know, nobody was ever pushing anyone down or trying to overshadow anyone. And so that was just kind of the culture and the mentality that I wanted to keep going forward. You know, again, I was so lucky that so many GMs and HR directors before me had really kind of set the tone of what the station would be like, which is a family and a place to hang out. And so keeping that as a key component of Z89 was really, really important to me. I was also at Z when um, we had our, I was GM when we had our antenna installation upgrade. So that was a pretty huge and fun, big deal. I mean, technologically, most of that went over my head. I was lucky enough to have Alex Silverman and Tex to kind of guide me through that and explain to me what was going on while I observed. But as a you know sophomore in college to observe you know something so professional and technologically advanced happening was a huge learning experience just for myself to see all of that happen. That was the upgrade to a thousand watts a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. It's awesome to hear you talk about that vibe at the station and that family atmosphere and how welcoming it was because we've had alumni on who graduated in the 70s talk mm -hmm. about that. We've had alumni from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s talk about that. It's really one of the things I think that's endured throughout 50 plus years now of this radio station is it was that warm, welcoming, small family group on what was otherwise a pretty big campus. Yeah. And it's not even just the people that you go to school with, which is, I think, the coolest thing is that like. Eileen Spath, who we were never at Syracuse the same year, but I still consider her a really good friend. We listen to the same podcasts. I text her about it when there's like a change in the lineup. Like <laughs> she's so fun and I really cherish her friendship. And we never went to Syracuse at the same time. And like that's the coolest thing about Z89 is that it really builds these bonds through people, even if they weren't in college together. 
there has been over the last decade or so such a run of amazing women who had leadership roles at this radio station. You know, you go back to Allie Gold. Uh-huh. You mentioned Eileen, Sam, yourself. So many amazing folks have come to the radio station in the last 10 years. And it's so great to hear that tradition continuing. Any other alumni that you didn't go to school with that you've formed connections with, either it's through banquets or just networking? Yeah, I mean, when I moved out here, I was connected to or even before I moved out to L.A., um, I was connected to Larry Barron being told, like, he will be the best resource. He's so great. He was a former GM. And we talked on the phone so much before I moved out to Los Angeles. And he was so helpful giving my resume edits, putting me up for internships like I had never met him before and he was still being so helpful. He sadly passed away a couple of years ago. But like the fact that he was such a mentor and somebody I could really rely on no matter like what I needed. Like I remember two or three years ago, I was up for another job post-grad and I was considering taking it, but I hadn't been at my previous job for a year. So I was like, I don't know if this is a good look if I leave a job in less than a year. And my sisters were like, oh, well, what does Larry say? Like this <laughs> this guy that had graduated so many years before me and owed me nothing. But again, he just always went above and beyond to help people. And that was really nice because I didn't know actually that many Z89 alumni out in LA. So like, even though it was a small presence, Larry really made like the Z89 presence in Los Angeles known. And it wasn't just me. Everyone I know that has moved out to LA from Z that Larry got to meet, but he was there to help them, which was awesome. I am really thrilled that you mentioned Larry Barron's name because obviously, you know, we can't have him as a guest in the podcast because he passed away recently. But there are so many alumni from the late 80s and early 90s that have talked about what an amazing influence he was and his huge role in the history of the radio station. And to hear that, you know, all the way up until his passing, some 20 years later, 30 years later almost, he's still working with as many alumni as he could and and helping as many of you as possible. I'm, I'm really glad you brought his name up. Yeah, no, he was really the best. And his... PD was Weinstein. What's his first name? Carl Weinstein. Carl's son, Cole Weinstein, was a year younger than me at Syracuse. And so like the connections still continue, you know, Cole is also always talking so highly about Larry, like everyone knows everyone and everyone always wants to help and support each other, which is such a great thing about Z. It's WJPZ. At 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. So you mentioned moving out to L.A. Take me through your career since graduation. Yeah, so... I graduated in 2019. I moved out to Los Angeles in August of 2019. I would have moved out sooner, but I had uh, tickets to go to the Con of Thrones, Game of Thrones convention in July. And so <laughs> I didn't want to move. Priorities. To, exactly. I didn't want to like move to L.A., get a job and be like, by the way, I need a week off to go to Con of Thrones. <laughs> um, <laughs> and actually, that was another thing that Larry told me is move out when you're ready to move out, because once you start working, you'll be working for the rest of your life. So, right. you know, whatever you want to do in this weird in between period of post-grad pre-work, do it and like really capitalize all of that. And I'm so happy I got to go out of Con of Thrones and I got that advice from Larry. But when I moved out here, my first job in the industry was working at a production company called Ace Entertainment. They made like the tall boys I loved before movies. And I was the second assistant to the head of the company there. So I was more of a personal assistant, like a big component of my job was 
taking care of his dog, who I love dearly and I miss all the time. But eventually Hmm. I did need to move on from that job and then got a job working in representation uh, at a management company called Cartel, which my family would love to make jokes about because it was called the Cartel. Oh, (laughs) jeez. But they rep writers and it was honestly a great experience. I feel like in Newhouse, uh, through the TRF program, people are constantly telling you, you know, like, when you graduate, go to an agency, go to a management company, work in representation because you'll learn so much and I'll be like grad school. And I kind of heard it and let it go in one ear and out the other because I didn't want to go into representation. And when I got my first job in a production company, I was like, great, didn't have to go into representation. Like I made it. <laughs> but then I ended up, you know, going back into a representation job. And it was probably the best thing I could have done for myself just because you everyone was right. Everything that Syracuse TRF was telling me about learning a lot in representation. I guess I should have listened to them because I learned so much in those two years. What did you learn there? Just being in the center of everything. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when you're at a production company, you're talking to writers and you're talking to networks and studios. But then you kind of like just interface with yourself. You don't unless you're co-producing something with someone, you don't really meet with that many other production companies. When you're in representation, you're talking to networks and studios and production companies and writers and other agencies. You know what I mean? So you're just in the middle of all of everything and really learning every facet of how development is happening, how projects are being put together, what is being greenlit, all of that. And so that was just a great learning experience to know like, oh, this buyer wouldn't be interested in making this project if you already have another animation studio attached to it before bringing it. And like random things like that, that you don't really learn it normally. You kind of have to learn it through the day to day of a job. And then at the end of last year, my friend told me about uh, Lily Singh's production company hiring a junior executive on their team. Lily Singh, she started her career on YouTube, but has then gone on to do a bunch of other things in the film and TV space. The company is called Unicorn Island. I just joined this past January. So in a couple of days, it'll be six months at this new job, but I'm loving it. It's been great ever since I joined. Congratulations. Thank you. What are some of the things... You know, before I ask you this, let me ask, because I wasn't sure, I, I hesitated because I wasn't sure whether I was going to call you Shruti or Loops. <laughs> How did the Loops nickname come into play? Well, it was given to me when I first joined ZD9. Another friend who was our year, Alyssa Sullivan, uh, gave me two different nicknames, Shruti Pebbles and Shroot Loops. Ah. And Shroot Loops are, is kind of the one that stuck more. And, uh, you know, there were certain events that happened early on in my freshman year where, I got a little bit too intense and people coined the phrase that Schrute's lost her loops. Uh, (laughs) And so I think that's what really made the nickname stick. And ever since then, people loops was just such a great radio name that I really loved it. And, you know, even out here in L.A., people were like, "Uh, should I call you Shruti? Should I call you Shruti? And I'm like, you know what? Just call me loops. It's so much easier. Um, And I love it. It really makes it known how people know me, you know, if they call me loops. It's so funny, again, the stories that repeat over the years. We had a previous episode with Scotty Bergstein, who graduated in the late 80s, and he went by Hotshot Scott on the air, Mm -hmm. and he moved out to Los Angeles after he graduated, and he'd be in a bar or walking down the street, and he'd hear... Hey, hotshot! Because <laughs> there is a, such a Syracuse community in Los Angeles. I mean, outside New York, it's got to be just one of the biggest Syracuse alum communities out there. It is ridiculous how many Syracuse folks are out here. I mean, it's great because you kind of have your own network and community and friend group because there's so many Syracuse people out here. But it's to the point where I have a friend out here who didn't go to Syracuse. And she's like, do you talk to anyone that's not from Syracuse? And I'm like, I'm I'm working on it. I'm trying to expand my non-Syracuse friends out here in LA. uh, A couple months ago, our house hosted a 
party and everything everywhere all at once themed party, which I don't know if yep. you're familiar with the movie, but you come to the party dressed as a version of yourself from another universe. So this one friend who gives me all the shit for only talking to Syracuse people came dressed up as a Syracuse grad. Like she came with a Syracuse <laughs> hat and and she bought all this stuff on Amazon. I was like, why did you pay? She's like, I'm going to return it next weekend. I was like, why did you pay for it? Like all of us could have given you any, like we all have way too <laughs> Syracuse gear. But she said the joke was for us and she wanted it to be a surprise. So she didn't spoil the surprise for any of us. But it is, again, so true that like she was the one non-Syracuse grad in Syracuse gear at this party. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. What lessons do you feel like you learned at JPZ besides obviously the culture that we talked about earlier? What do you feel that you learned that you took with you into your career so far? You know, at the end of the day, it's a fun and a family environment, but we were dedicated to operating as a professional radio station. So that meant dealing with, you know, strict codes and being as professional as possible. And sometimes there was a lot of disagreement. I remember one time a couple months into my term as GM, I got a phone call voicemail from somebody who I won't name, but basically screaming at me over the phone. And it was terrifying. And I was, again, a sophomore in college and I hadn't been yelled at so intensely before over the phone. And I had to schedule a follow-up meeting with this person to talk about why they were so upset about what happened at the station. And I won't ask you a name, but can you give me a top level of what they were so upset about? Um, it was like basically the logistics of their position. Um, okay. Because I was told that apparently we had to hold a new vote for their position. And okay. they were just upset that they would have to be voted in again, basically. Okay. And it was scary like to kind of work in that environment. I don't know if you remember the... GM office at ZD9, but it's a small little enclosed space. So I was like, oh, God, this is going to be so scary to meet with this person. But it really taught me, especially now working in Hollywood, where everyone is constantly yelling at people, um, <laughs> you know, like sometimes who will be mad and you can't scream back at them. That's not going to be a productive conversation. You need to make sure people feel heard, but also at the end of the day, make whatever workspace you're working in to be as comfortable for everyone working in it as possible. And if you need to tell people that they can't yell at others. You know, that's something that was my responsibility to do, even though I had been yelled. But like, I was like, you can't do this to other people. You can't create an inhospitable environment at the station because my number one goal here is for it to be a family community. Got it. Before I let you go, are there any funny stories we haven't covered yet of just, you know, get together with, I know you guys had such a great group in that 18, 19, 20 range yeah. of folks. Are there any stories that, you know, when you get together with folks a couple of years later and you still look back and you would laugh over a beer at Fagan's or something like that? Great question. I mean, there's definitely us joking about me calling Matt dad on air. We still laugh about that. And I think that, you know, we were also attached to the station. There was a running joke that I uh, was a huge fan of the Cotton Eye Joe when I was in college. I just found it a very catchy song. So whenever there were parties, I was like, guys, we need to play the Cotton Eye Joe. This is the Rednecks version? Exactly. <laughs> Nobody would let me play it until like past midnight, closer to 1 a.m., you know, when people were a little bit looser. Um, and obviously <laughs> I was never allowed to play it on air because that's not a top 40 song that would play. <laughs> but on one of our last nights in college, me and Hannah and Keats were on our way back to our apartment and we stopped by Z89 and we played Cotton Eye Joe on air and we all did it in the studio and it was so much fun to all be doing Cotton Eye Joe. It's long. You can get winded by the end of that song. Oh, yeah. It was the workout of the century and we had so much fun and I still have those videos of us all doing Cotton Eye Joe together in the radio station. 
So this is circa 2.30 a.m., I'd be guessing? Yeah, that would have been, yep, like May 2019 at 2.30 in the morning. We can go through the <laughs> log. Sorry, guys, I did end up playing Cotton Eye Joe on air. <laughs> Most alumni, I say, were past the statute of limitations, but with you, I don't know. We might still be within it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Loops, you had told me before we started recording that you're really proud of the uh, peer mentorship program you had at the station when you were there. Tell us about that a little bit before I let you go. So I was obviously very lucky to have Sam be my Newhouse peer mentor and bring me into Z89. When I was a Newhouse peer mentor the year after that, I brought the following VP of business, Alessia, onto Z89 because it was like, you also need to join Z89. But our mentor tree was a little bit smaller. The The biggest one I know of is Eileen Spath was a mentor to a girl named Natalie who worked at the radio station was also on the zoos. And Natalie was Matt Gehring's peer mentor and Matt Gehring uh, was my friend Jacob's peer mentor. And I think Jacob mentored one more person who he got to join the station. So we had like a tree of five peer mentors to mentees that were just bringing people into the station. And and we put a lot of pressure on Jacob and the following mentee, like, you can't mess this up. You need to bring somebody into the <laughs> station. But again, I just love those little you know family trees of mentees that form through Z's community. And that is a great place to leave it. Shruti, Loops, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us today. And we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hope to see you in March. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.